Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry, right here on KOPN, your community radio station in Columbia, Missouri, and streaming on the web at kopn.org, or uh, if you're listening on the radio, you're probably dialed to 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out. And as I often say, we need all hands on deck to make a more humane world. I'm very happy to have uh, an old acquaintance, old acquaintance, <laughs> uh, Janet Akrami, uh, a doctor, uh, Went to med. You went to med school at Mizzou, right? Uh, yes, yes, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, welcome this afternoon to KOPN uh, Glocal News. Uh, glad you're with us. I'm actually retired from that occupation and practicing midwifery full time nowadays. All right, Janet Akrami, uh practicing uh, midwifery, and mm -hmm. uh, as I understand, you're getting your master's in that subject. I didn't realize we had. You know, bachelors and masters and so on in midwifery. So, I hope you can bring us all up to speed on this particular discipline. It's not new; it's been around for as long as women have been around. I, <laughs> the Absolutely. whole history of humanity is dependent upon midwifery. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, you live in Pilot Grove now, close to Columbia, right? Correct. And. Uh, I think you've been an old friend of KOPN uh, in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you ever been on the show, in on any shows in the past, or had your own show? I've never had my own show. I've been interviewed a time or two in the past, probably in the days when it was still life-threatening to be interviewed as a midwife. But... <laughs> <laughs> you, was that back in the 70s? Somewhere, 70s, 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you have, uh, you've had a few kids your own, right? I have six. <laughs> so you know about having babies. Mm -hmm. I have six, the majority of whom were born at home mm -hmm. with midwife, with or without midwives assisting. There were, there weren't any, I couldn't find any midwives when we first moved to Missouri, but after that one, they all had midwives in attendance. Uh-huh. And all successful, apparently. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you're a, a big fan of this uh, practice. Of course. Of course. And as a... Well, okay. So you're... I noticed on Facebook you're from Alaska. Yes. And so you started your... You became a nurse in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Had you already had your some of your kids when you started nursing, or...? I had two children in my teens, mm -hmm. one at my local run-by-the-nuns small-town hospital mm -hmm. when I was 16. That experience wasn't actually too bad. The doctor didn't make it. One of my mother's friends who was a nurse caught him in the bed in the room. Oh. Um, 
And there wasn't a whole bunch to say about that. But two years later, in the bigger city, in the bigger hospital, I was treated to the whole obstetrical nine yards that was taking over the world. At that point in time, everybody was quite taken with inductions and one thing and another that were becoming the norm. Hmm. And it cured me permanently of wanting to go back and do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I subsequently, when I was 21, started college and then went to nursing school. Mm -hmm. While I was in nursing school, I discovered home birth. Oh. One of my, I lived in a communal household, as one did in those days, mm -hmm. with six adults and six children in residence. And one of the women had a baby while we were in school. I came home and found her reading my OB nursing book and going, I think I'm going to have the kid right here. You want to help? And I was like, well, as long as you don't think I know a whole lot more than you do, and you're asking me to help you as your friend, certainly. And that was the beginning of it. We found some other books and found some equipment. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you couldn't just order it from the home birth supply place in those uh, days. Right. We won't go into too many details about how we found it because it wasn't readily available at that point in time. And she had her baby at the house there. And it, it went on from there. After I got out of nursing school, we... Being on the road was also a lifestyle in those days. We traveled for a couple of years mm -hmm. and ended up in Missouri, where my next child was born a few months after we got here. He was born at home in Columbia, and the rest is history. I met some, I had a, another woman walk up to me at the Columbia Community Grocery one day and say, Are people asking you to help them with their home births because you're a nurse and because you had a home birth? And I was like, They sure are. And she was like, Do you think we should formalize that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> so it would be a little safer and a little better planned. Uh -huh. And we proceeded to set our, ourselves up with, you know, a practice training program mm -hmm. with some other women in the area which eventually became an apprenticeship as well which eventually became the missouri certification program oh, wow. which eventually was our certification program was one of the source documents for the north american registry of midwives when that certification program was written and wow. this many years later in 2020 two i almost said 2021 it is possible to get national certification as a certified professional midwife and there are several schools that grant associate degrees bachelor's degrees master's degrees mm -hmm. in so, conjunction with those certifications many states have licensure this one does not we are blessed here we are legal by statute wow yeah what, what does that actually mean you have a that, law that that means that we were granted legality in 2009 okay which was immediately challenged through the court system we have many supporters the midwives won and we have remained legal mm -hmm. there are many people who are um, not inclined to see that change too much in any direction so it has pretty much stayed as it was when it was first legalized from that point in time to this. The Missouri Midwives Association is very active 
in supporting us and seeing to it that we all practice safely mm-hmm. and that we all regulate each other. Mm-hmm. Do you remember about what year it was when that woman approached you at the Columbia Community Grocery? 1977. So the grocery had already moved from the Broadway space over to Hitch Street? Yes. Ah, okay. Just getting my timing, because I, I remember when it was housed right where KOPN is uh, first, when Mark started it there. And then the shift, I had already left town, and the, the shift happened while I was gone. So, yeah, good, 79. Wow, you, uh, you're a founder, a co-founder. Co-creator. <laughs> there were people doing similar things all around the country. Midwifery has been with the United States as long as there has been a United States. Right. Midwives were midwives were black women who came with well, we know how black people came to this continent. Mm-hmm. Midwives came and took care of their own people and eventually took care of everybody else as well. Um, And then immigrant women who were also midwives came with later waves of immigration. Mm -hmm. We were not the originators of this by any stretch of the imagination. And you had a guest last week who was getting a PhD in education, who is a doula in a Black doulas collective in Colombia, who was describing the experience of Black midwives being disenfranchised and Black teachers being disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. And I just want to second everything she said. Black midwives were thrown out of their profession wholesale. Mm -hmm. And we still have all of those same problems trying to reestablish any sort of ability for access to exist, diversity to exist, Mm -hmm. cultural congruence to exist, Mm -hmm. women to be able to have who they want to attend their births with any sort of predictability. Mm -hmm. All of those things need to happen in ways that have not yet come about, although there are a few people who are trying to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of people who don't even understand what the issue is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. I, I think you probably do because you taught for so long where you taught at Lincoln University. You probably understand better than a lot of people. Well, you know, my education has come like a lot of people by experiences not yes. from academia and so uh, i for instance uh well we're, we're going to get into another subject in just a minute uh not another subject but a related subject about my daughter's birth and my granddaughter's birth <laughs> that's going to relate to this and and uh, we'll I'll get to how I learn things, but first I want to reintroduce you uh, and welcome the uh, listening audience. Uh, Hi, friends. Glad you're with us today on Glocal News and Social Artistry here on KOPN, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri. I'm the host, Dick Dalton, and my guest is Janet Akrami, 
old acquaintance and uh, a retired physician, uh, a nurse, a, uh, a, midwif a midwife, and working on her master's in midwifery. Um, and full of experience with this whole subject of birthing. So, Janet, I <laughs> wanted to say that uh, my daughter was born at the med center in 73. Uh, my wife had uh, almost two days of labor and finally they gave up, so to speak, and did the cesarean uh, delivery. My granddaughter, <laughs> uh, well, my daughter, uh, when she was pregnant with my granddaughter, uh, tried to use at-home birth with a, a doula and uh, a midwife. I'm not sure technically what she had actually physically with her, whether it was a doula or a midwife. And uh, they didn't recognize that she had a breach uh, situation. And so she tried for two days to deliver and finally treated it as an emergency, went to the hospital, and they did a very quick cesarean delivery. Um, you have some thoughts about mm, all of that. Um, I don't know how you would like to start or continue with the, the line of thought for birthing and, and why we have the problems that we do, why there's so many uh, um, women and children that don't make it, that die, uh, that the system, the way it is. We have a, the rest of the hour to explore your thoughts on uh, how this works and doesn't work. Whoa, that's a complicated, broad yeah. topic or yeah. a, a million complicated, broad topics, to say the least. Well, they all kind of relate to this whole, you know, having babies. I mean, this is... Preparation is a huge thing. Preparation is a huge thing. The first thing to say is that all people are not equal in this regard. There are segments of the population that are at much higher risk walking in the door than others because of social violence, because of lack of access to care, because of a hundred different reasons mm -hmm. that require major levels of support, mm -hmm. preferably from people who are from similar cultural and social backgrounds so that they even know what's going on in the first place. I always feel like, am I doing everything I should be? Am I missing 10 things that I should be paying attention to? Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> but just attention to detail all along the way. The reason that midwives have such good statistics is because they take, hopefully, as things get more and more and more medicalized, it gets less and less. I tell people that all we have to do is behave like the medical model and we are going to lose our statistical edge quickly. Mm -hmm. The thing that has made midwives have such good statistics is the amount of time and attention to detail that goes into um, 
pregnancy, spending time with people, mm-hmm. eating meals with them so you know what they're eating, paying attention to whether they're getting all their the things that go into having a healthy pregnancy, finding all the resources that they need, all the support that they need, showing up with them if they have something come up that needs medical attention during the pregnancy. It's not that any midwife is opposed to medical model care. It's just that it has its place. And when it's necessary, it needs to be sought. In, an, in healthcare systems that work like they're supposed to, there is an interface between different types of providers so that they can each have their appropriate place in care. You know, at the beginning of this conversation, we should say that birth is not a guaranteed adventure. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. regardless of where you have your baby or how you have your baby, nobody says that things are going to go perfectly. Mm-hmm. You can't open the door between there and here and expect that it is always going to go perfectly because that simply isn't true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, ask anybody who's ever been right there where you can look through to the other side mm-hmm. if they think it's always going to go perfectly because you really can right in there. Actually, you know... Well, all the way from miscarriages uh, mm-hmm. through to premature to mm-hmm. whatever else goes on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is a moment just before a baby is born when they join you mm-hmm. and you know they're there and you know that the door is wide open. And of course, there is uncertainty until they actually join you in the room. You know, and it's like nothing else. Hmm. Um, and no, it's not always possible to know that somebody's breach, although it usually is. Mm-hmm. And yes, we all train and train and train and train so that when we get surprised, it will work out fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in New Hampshire doing my last nine births before my recertification before or the last time a surprise one happened to me. I was with the junior partner at that birth center who frantically called her boss who said, be calm, Janet's probably seen this 20 times. And we immediately reversed roles (laughs) and everything went very smoothly. And of course it can be much more complex than that, which is why we train and train and train and train Mm -hmm. on all of the maneuvers that usually aren't taught in medical school anymore. Hmm. Um, But most midwives know how to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In terms of the positioning of the baby in terms of how to maneuver a breach out of there if it gets more interesting than just straightforward Mm -hmm. yeah you know somebody you know somebody who was breached when he was born Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i do so uh is it not taught in medical school because the option that they're given is so what they think is convenient well, there was a very, I think it, I, I'm exaggerating. It is taught. It's just not practiced much. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. There was a very flawed 
I'm probably talking more than I should. There was a study done that was accepted as appropriate. That was the study that led to it being accepted as appropriate to deliver all babies who are breached by C-section. That has become very controversial, but it has not yet changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're not always going to do a C-section if you're out somewhere when the baby presents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By surprise, back in first. So you're going to have to know what to do then. Yeah. And most people and anybody that's in that situation is going to train and train and train and train. I'm going in April to review my stuff again. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a whole set of things that midwives review and review and review and review and practice and practice and practice and practice so that mm-hmm. they will be ready when they need to be able to do them. Mm-hmm. So in Missouri, uh, is there you said there's a midwife association? Yes. And are midwives... Uh, easy to find and access uh, for uh, rel- relatively easy okay. if you go to missourimidwives.org you will find or just look up missouri midwives association online mm-hmm. you will find a number of them listed in the directory there mm-hmm. okay so uh why would a woman consider a midwife what would be the thought process that you can imagine for that? My reasons for considering midwife had to do with my own safety, the safety of my children, the comfort of all of us. I didn't want I didn't want a lot of interventions that in my judgment didn't need to be. Mm-hmm. Um I wanted things like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Yeah, the ameliorating pain. (laughs) Right. I mean, you can get in a tub of water and do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And pain in childbirth, I have many answers to that. One, (laughs) childbirth pain is not like other pain. don't know how many times I've had the, well, she can't stand to go to the dentist conversation with people's mothers who are fretting about how they're going to do at their home birth. It's like, well, yes, but this isn't like going to the dentist. You have all sorts of juicy hormones that will get you, okay, we're old hippies here, that will get you high and give you what you need to get through this going (laughs) on when you're in labor. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) it is not the same thing at all. So are we talking uh, endorphins and uh, oxytocin? Yes. and Yes, and all the, of those kinds of things. The things that the body knows how to provide to the mother at that time. To make it so that you can just sail right on through it. And mm-hmm. if you're having trouble, you can do things like climb in a tub of warm water, which will provide all kinds of pain relief mm-hmm. and not make it any more difficult to monitor what's going on with mother and baby. Mm-hmm. There have been big studies demonstrating that it's just as safe as being on land. Um, if we want to flip back over to scientific for a minute, there's literature about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are all kinds of ways 
to keep track of how both parent and baby are doing mm -hmm. as as the labor goes along i wanted to make sure that nobody was going to decide that i needed medications or ivs or induction or any of those kinds of things for no particular good reason mm -hmm. because those are the things that lead to further interventions uh, as you so mm -hmm. as you so rightly described mm -hmm. It is not unusual for the early stages of labor to go on for days, mm -hmm. on and off and on and off and on and off and on and off. It's even regarded as normal at this point for women to start and stop and start and stop and mm -hmm. have contractions that are annoying, but not overwhelming, mm -hmm. latent, latent labor, they call it, mm -hmm. that goes on a while. Mm -hmm. And you really don't want to run the risk of having somebody decide that they need to augment that mm -hmm. as opposed to taking a nap oh, mm -hmm. and keeping track of the baby mm -hmm. or coming and going to somebody's house and making sure they're eating and sleeping and taking care of themselves. Mm -hmm. You use the word induction and I'm, I can't, I can't figure out what that is. Well, is that inducing? Yeah. Okay, inducing yeah. the uh, delivery. And it's a very commonly done okay. in, in obstetrics to give Pitocin or something like it to mm. pick up the pace of mm. the labor. Mm -hmm. An artificial stimulant in a sense. Right, too. right. Uh, yeah. And mm -hmm. I wanted to be very sure that, that, that if that was going to happen to me, it was because I had decided myself that there was an overwhelming reason for it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not because i was in a situation where i was trying to advocate for myself and have a baby at the same time which is very difficult right Two completely opposite sets of <laughs> you know it's like yeah. you can't you can't relax and have a baby and be fighting at the same time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which brings back the um not just a midwife, but we had the reference back to last week and a doula yes. uh, being present. And yes. So as a midwife, can you give us uh, more in terms of your experience with having a doula with you or not with you um, in, in the process? What's the benefit or necessity or? Um... Well, I have spanned the whole time frame from when doulas were called friends mm -hmm. um, or didn't happen at all to where now the doula has become a separate profession in this country. Mm -hmm. And doulas are very beneficial. My mm -hmm. goodness, there is nothing like a good support person who is totally dedicated to supporting the mother. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes before there were, and some people can afford to hire a doula and some people can't. Oh, okay. And sometimes there are free doulas available and sometimes there aren't for people mm -hmm. who can't afford them. Just like some people can afford to hire a midwife and some people can't. And sometimes there are midwives who have a sliding scale that goes down to a 
or scholarships or something that goes down to a place where the people that really need them can afford them. That is becoming a barrier. Mm -hmm. And I have strong opinions about that, just in case you wondered. Can't imagine that, me having strong opinions about something. Let's Um, hear it. Let's hear it. (laughs) But if it was up to me, all of those things would be freely available to everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, By way of insurance, you're thinking, or how are... Is that well, the process yes, you're... I suppose I would, yes. In an ideal world, all of that stuff would be available to everyone because they would. it would all be paid for by some mechanism for mm-hmm. everyone. Yeah. We are a long way from that. Mm-hmm. Every healthcare practice I have ever had has had a sliding scale that mm-hmm. slid all the way to zero because it has had some kind of fund that picked it up when it dropped below. If you if you accept Medicare or Medicaid, you can't slide below the rates they pay ah. mm-hmm. unless you have funding that makes up the difference, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I've always managed to have some way or another with donations of some kind. <laughs> um, have you been uh, to a country where they had uh, national health care? Yes, I have. have And it was very, very nice. Ah, so less stress. Um, Oh, gosh, for providers and clients alike. Mm -hmm. Any, are there any stats on the, how people turn out moms babies <laughs> well you just in you just introduced a whole new set of variables having to do with how the healthcare system is structured yes indeed you know if yeah. you take parents and throw them into hospitals and lay them on their backs your statistics are going to be what you get from that mm-hmm. whether you use midwives or whether you use somebody else mm-hmm if you take parents and let them be in their own homes surrounded by their family and friends and bring the midwife in, mm-hmm. your statistics are going to be what you get from that, regardless of what your payment mechanism is. Mm-hmm. And what you get from that, in your opinion, is a better result Yes. at home with the yes. midwife. Okay. Yes. And is there any way to describe that better result? How does that manifest a better result? Well, if you have a healthy, supported parent, you're going to get a healthy baby mm-hmm. who is going to be born in good shape, breastfeed immediately, settle right into being on the, in this on this planet rather than inside Mm -hmm. not be stressed or shocked by any of it Mm -hmm. one of the things that often amazes me is well a couple things that often amaze me the apgar scores that are given to babies in at hospital in hospital settings where i would have gone i would have scored them way lower than that because I'm used to seeing babies that are in much better shape than that. Mm-hmm. Um, would you have, tell us what the APGAR score It's a little means? checklist that we all run in our brains that's an instant way to second 
to uh, it's a second mechanism for checking on how a baby is doing right after birth. Okay. I mean, we all have things we look at, and that's like another channel that runs at the same time. Okay. You know, redundancy and telling that the baby is doing well. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that I'm really not used to seeing babies cry at birth. They mm. come out and look around and just act like they're just as happy as little, <laughs> you know. Okay, here I am. <laughs> All right. That's a, a new thought for me. Okay. Happy to be at this party. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I'm hearing is that because people are in, let's say, a hospital setting and they have the way that they look at babies every day and every day and every day, their um, filter for the APGAR score becomes, well, this is normal. Right. Whereas you, who are a midwife... I'm looking at them and thinking, oh my goodness, this baby's traumatized. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because your experience has a whole different filter for knowing what an APGAR score is in a home birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it? How we... <laughs> Isn't that how our, how our eyes and ears adjust to different situations? Yeah, and and of course that's why we have division in our country is that we all grow up and get certain kinds of programming that give us different filters for looking at what we see, and whether it's color or whether it's uh, personal rights or whether it's you know however. Now, I think it's very important in preparation for birth that parents be well-versed in all of the what-ifs, all of the special situations, all of the things that could go on, might go on, how they would want to relate to them possibly if they did, um, how they would feel if they landed in the, if they had to transfer to the hospital, if they had to have a seat, all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So that in the event that some of those things came about, they would be well prepared. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's doom and gloom at all. I think the one you don't consider is the one that you'll wind up facing, <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to being well prepared and well thought through and calm. And, you know, well-educated so that if decision-making for, and, and making sure that the partner, if there is one, has another support person, that's a good place for the doula to plug in. Uh, it's very difficult to be the only support person in a hospital situation, although in times of COVID, it's sometimes hard to get a second support person in. Oh, okay. Because it's very nice to be able to trade back and forth or you know what have you so that the birthing person is never alone Mm -hmm. because it's good to have somebody who's not that vulnerable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. available for support and also for assistance with decision making Mm -hmm. in a complex situation gotcha yeah but all of those things should have been considered not in a in a alarmist panicky right. way but just because people are intelligent mm-hmm. people need to be prepared you, 
the first time people are expecting a child, they don't realize that they've just stepped into a zone where they need to do all this preparation and all this study and all this consideration of possibilities. But for a long time, I taught my own childbirth classes. And after we, I may go back to doing that because it was fun. But <laughs> after we got through the, you know, the introductory class and the one where we talked about labor and looked at pictures and the one where we talked about prenatal care and the one where we considered nutrition and the one where we talked about, we would get to the fifth class where we had finished up like talking about special situations and all of this stuff and the people would know each other pretty well by then mm -hmm. and the the couples that had had several children would start talking about any problems that they themselves had had and mm -hmm. telling their stories spontaneously usually mm -hmm. to all of the other people and that was so wonderful because mm. then all of the younger parents going into birth for the first time would hear mm -hmm. sometimes really grueling stories mm -hmm. about the experiences that these people had had in addition to their wonderful home births mm -hmm. and how they'd handled them and what they'd been like and how things had worked out at the end mm -hmm. and it would wind up being such a good thing as they were thinking composing their own minds about their coming births mm -hmm. and their support systems mm -hmm. and how they would relate to all of the all of the things that mm -hmm. they would probably never experience but that they would then be at peace about being able to navigate should they come up should it happen right mm -hmm. you know yeah. and i guess that's the answer to what you were talking about earlier well how do you feel about having a breech baby you know <laughs> are you yeah. going to do the million things that exist to turn it around mm -hmm. and if you don't get it successfully turned around then what are you going to do mm -hmm. are you going to find somebody that will let you have it vaginally or are you going to have a c-section mm -hmm. do you understand all of the things about the microbiome and about the way that the different ways that c-sections can be done and hospital policies in the different places and mm -hmm. you know there's a book that can be written about c-sections mm -hmm. if it comes to that point if that's your decision mm -hmm. there's still a hundred thousand more decisions to be made mm -hmm. and people to talk to mm -hmm. you know well folks uh I'm going to reintroduce my guest today. This is uh, Local News and Social Artistry on KOPN, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri. Uh, I'm the host, Dick Dalton. Uh, my guest today is Janet Akrami. Uh, started off as a nurse uh, in Alaska, uh, came to Missouri, went to med school, uh, practiced as a physician for 30 years, retired, and is now a uh, has a bachelor's and is working on her master's in midwifery and has just uh, given me a, an introductory education <laughs> on this whole process and, and it's been fascinating. So good to have you uh, help us, Janet, with this really difficult uh, subject because it, it pits uh, 
a systemic practice with uh, a practice that started back, as you said, uh, with black midwives helping uh, to give uh, birth to our country, <laughs> in a sense. So uh, you were just now talking about cesarean uh, delivery. I think there's a problem with calling it cesarean birth. Yes. Would you speak to that, please? It is a major abdominal surgery. Mm -hmm. And it is not normal. Mm -hmm. It is necessary at points in time. Mm -hmm. It is not necessary 30 or 40 or even 50% of the time, as is sometimes the case at some hospitals in this country, um, where we are pretty cesarean crazy for all kinds of, I mean, the first thing I would do if I were a birthing parent and somebody was telling me I needed to have a C-section would be question the reasons and go do a bunch of research. Mm -hmm. I'm a home birth midwife, so I would have already questioned the reasons and been doing a bunch of research if I were that birthing parent, because I would be planning a, a very different kind of a birth and mm -hmm. spending a whole bunch of time reading and asking questions and making a birth plan that was quite different from that. Mm -hmm. By the time I was getting to a C-section, it would probably be a really, really necessary one. Mm -hmm. So, so why would there even be the thought of having a C-section without it being an emergency? You're saying that there are people that are told, what, a week, a month ahead of time that they're going to have to have a C-section? You know, I can't speak for the medical care. So I can't speak for the medical system, really, but... Mm -hmm. um, different people have and different hospitals have different criteria when i was i one of the places that i was doing clinical time not very long ago mm -hmm. i had a doula client because <laughs> mm -hmm. i was doing some doula work on my way through to help sustain life and limb mm -hmm. who was fired by her obstetrician at 41 weeks and two days because she would not consent to an induction. Mm -hmm. um, the doula would not consent. No, the client would not consent. The, the obstetrician that was seeing her discontinued her care at that point. Oh my goodness. So crazy things happen out there in the world. There are all sorts of people with all sorts of arbitrary policies about, that's one reason, because people go past their due dates mm -hmm. or because people have things that show up here, there, and yonder, or because they've had C-sections before. Mm -hmm. That was the reason. Mm -hmm. She had had a previous C-section and he had agreed to allow her to labor and half of the uh, medical people who are listening to this right now are shocked that she wouldn't agree to have another C-section at that point. She went, her sister found the only hospital in the area that was allowing people to have vaginal births after C-sections. And she went there when she went into labor within a day or two after that conversation and just walked in. 
and the doctor there had his his white horse all saddled and was ready to save the day and she had a beautiful um vaginal birth without any kind of induction or anything mm -hmm. i couldn't go because of covid mm -hmm. um even though i'd had negative covid tests for the other hospital so i was on the phone with her mm -hmm. you, were serving, you were serving as the doula right oh, so we okay. just had phone conversations periodically unfortunately 1500 births or so and i could tell what she was talking about most of the time and say yeah you're still good mm -hmm. yeah it sounds like you're probably still good mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and you said that there's different kinds of cesarean methods even so uh, i guess people are just trained differently on how even to do that major surgery well, there are ways that are, as far as the surgical procedure itself, there are ways that are usual and customary and ways that are brought in for special situations. Oh, but wow. it's also possible to be cognizant of ways to preserve the baby's microbiome better and cognizant of ways to make it a more pleasant and gentle experience for parent and baby and factors like that that some people mm -hmm. think about and some people don't. So would you help us with the microbiome piece here? So go into one of that the, a little more. One of, the, one of the parents, one of the first responsibilities of the parents of the baby is to provide the baby with their bacteria and some of the components of their immune system like make sure that baby has the bacteria from the mother's GI tract and the bacteria from the mother's vaginal flora and the bacteria from the skin of both parents and some of the um, immunoglobulins from the breast milk and that all of that happens almost immediately so that that mm -hmm. baby is protected. Mm -hmm. So can you... And of course, that, Walk us through all, that all of that is compromised by a cesarean section because yeah. no an incision is made in the abdomen and the baby is taken out. Mm -hmm. And some of it can be restored if people are thinking in, in ways that can get that done. And there's ongoing research about that, mm -hmm. how long it takes to restore itself naturally and what can be done to restore it at the time. Likewise, with the loud noises and bright lights and... Mm -hmm you know, bonding at the, at the time of the birth parts of it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be clanging and banging and the baby immediately being hauled off to somewhere. It's possible to reconstruct elements of a normal birth in the operating room if somebody's mm -hmm. paying attention and inclined to do it mm -hmm. for the benefit of baby and parent. Why do I have an image of a baby being held up by its feet and swatted on its bottom? Because that used to be pretty standard, and one of yours may have had that treatment. <laughs> they and, stopped doing that much more recently than you think. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so getting the microbiome... Uh, uh, the bacteria now some people hear the word bacteria and just 
Oh no, you have a bacteria. <laughs> you know, as if bacteria Brilliant. is bad. Help us know that bacteria is vital for our existence. You carry billions of them with you all the time, and you need them very much in order to stay healthy. You carry your gut is actually outside your body also, as well as your skin, and you carry bacteria on your skin and in your digestive system, and you would be in a lot of trouble without them. Mm -hmm. And your baby needs them seeded immediately mm -hmm. in order to be healthy as well. Mm -hmm. Gosh. So as the baby passes through the vaginal birth canal, you say the baby is actually getting some of the mother's good bacteria. Yes, that and, then is immediate, going to, mm -hmm. and then immediately when the baby is held by the parents and starts to breastfeed, mm -hmm. more are received. So you're talking about a baby without the big blanket all wrapped around it, uh, bonding with both the father and the mother. Bonding with the parents, whoever mm -hmm. they may be, yeah. skin to skin. Okay, gotcha. Is this because it's going to be the people that they're going to be living with? Yes. And, and it's pretty important to keep them in and and as many other people as possible out, actually. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hospital bacteria, not so good. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, so this is sort of keeping, in a sense, a, a cocoon, a family cocoon mm -hmm. of, of protection and uh, development of the good bacteria that will then assist that baby in its growing up as well as the breast milk that has the immuno, um, whatever you call them in the breast milk. Yeah. It's important to cocoon, cocoon that and keep that happening as it's supposed to, as much as it's important to protect the skin to skin and the bonding time, the first nursing and those people all wrapped in the little cocoon so that they mm -hmm. can fall in love with each other so that mm -hmm. they can bond mm -hmm. so that, that baby will survive for that reason. Mm -hmm. And I have seen people get in and intentionally interfere with that, by the way. I knew one person who was a medical person who used to get right in the middle of that and look mothers in the eye and go, I am so sorry. I apologize for this procedure. And there were women all over central Missouri who thought he was so wonderful. And I thought, man, I would not have believed anybody could be that vile if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. That's bonding energy you just got in the middle of, man. Uh -huh. Don't do that. Don't that do belongs that. to the baby and to, to your family. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the time when, when the midwives back up and get really quiet and sneak under the covers and take vital signs when they need to every 15 minutes and mm -hmm. make a suggestion here and there if they need to and stay way back in the shadows check to make sure the fundus is firm, you know, little things that they need to for safety and stay way out of the way. Of the bonding. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, this is important stuff, and, and we don't mm -hmm. hear about this very much. Mm -hmm. How do we get the you word to, out? You have to do the things that you have to do in order to make sure you're protecting your baby and your parent. But 
Otherwise, you have to stay out of that energy and out of that bacterial and immunoglobulin seeding mm -hmm. because those things have to happen for survival. My, my ex-husband used to say about the colostrum, I'm a veterinarian, I know. They've mm -hmm. got to have the colostrum and the immunoglobulins or they die. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the colostrum but, is in the breast milk. Yes, yeah. it's the first mm -hmm. milk. Yeah. It's not quite that simple with people, but the point was a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and he yes. would be amazed that I'm quoting him. <laughs> <laughs> By the way. <laughs> so would, you know, a, a person hearing this that's pregnant, um, let's say they are sort of uh, schooled in tradition and plan to have a hospital delivery and they hear about this bonding and it and it strikes them as really important how can they have what would they need to do to ensure that that could happen in a hospital setting hospitals are coming some hospitals at least are coming around more and more to recognizing the importance of that some of them are providing for it I think it's still necessary to be a little assertive about not having it interrupted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So would a, a doula be? A doula would be a very beneficial person to have with you to make sure you had the space protected around you. Good. Okay. Doulas and... are beneficial people particularly this black doula collective that can provide cultural congruity and make sure that people are protected mm -hmm. to begin with because mm -hmm. oh my goodness are those women disrespected at about a hundred times the rate of others mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like wait a minute she's not invisible mm -hmm. lighten up mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> she's in the room <laughs> she is in the room. You can speak to her. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, even uh, a person that doesn't have so much of a cultural difference, but has a viewpoint that's different, mm -hmm. uh, is going to have to kind of fight for that space. Um, oh, yeah. Space. Oh, goodness, yes. The experience of going to the emergency room with a mother who is Jehovah's Witness I certainly was not in agreement, but I said, no blood, we're not accepting blood, mm -hmm. about 500 times that day. Mm -hmm. So Because I work for my client. Right. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and how did that go? <laughs> <laughs> she didn't get blood. Uh-huh. And One of the very first friendly physicians that the Midwives Collective ever had back in the 70s was very, very good at raising his hands, palms up to the sky and looking at the sky and going, so do you want to take care of these crazy people? Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> he would be amazed to hear me quoting him also. <laughs> Well, we have some famous quotes here on, <laughs> on KOPN today. That's great. <laughs> but, you know, when when somebody has a, a point of principle that they feel very, very strong, you have to pick what you're going to fight for because mm -hmm. you can't have everything. Okay. 
But if somebody has a point of principle like that, that mm -hmm. they feel extremely strongly about, mm -hmm. you can oftentimes negotiate for it. And you need to check ahead of time whether your physician is going to agree that you don't want to be induced or agree that you could be in a bath of warm water. Or <laughs> Well, some hospitals have the capability of providing water births and some don't. Oh, okay. And there are situations where an induction may be just what you need. I would oh. never say never. I see. Okay. But... And I'm, I'm working with people who aren't planning hospital births to begin with. Mm -hmm. right. But if you were planning one, that would be something you would need to discuss with your mm -hmm. physician that you were or your nurse practitioner that you were using. Mm -hmm. See, I'm going to put in a plug for nurse practitioners as hospital providers also here while we're at it. Because right. there are, not in central Missouri, they're not common, but there are CNMs who work in hospitals with privileges to deliver babies so that's a certified nurse, nurse midwife, midwife. A it's a nurse with an advanced degree oh okay all right and you say there are a few in in central Missouri. they're not common in central yeah. missouri they're mm -hmm. much more common in other parts of the country mm -hmm. well we have they just keep a... establishing themselves here <laughs> and then getting shoved to the side and then establishing themselves and you know in our remaining moments, Janet, uh, some words for our, our audience. Ah, oh, words for the audience. Please support midwives. Please let your legislators know that you support midwives and that you want to encourage midwives to be strong and thrive here. Mm -hmm. And the Midwife Association is called the Missouri Midwife Association. The Missouri Midwives Association. Mm -hmm. You can look up the Missouri Midwives Association website by just mm -hmm. typing Missouri Midwives Association onto your search bar. All right. Janet Ockermey, thank you so much. We didn't get to talk about uh, your son that I had in college uh, at Lincoln, but uh, uh, a shout out to him as well. Uh, we had such good time together. Yes. So uh, I look forward to seeing you again sometime. And hopefully, uh, folks listening out there, uh, please remember that wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.